Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my co-host, Jamie Wagner. We value connection in our business and with our podcast. And in fact, the challenge at the end of every podcast is to live eyes up. And I think that is living eyes up is connecting. We've loved hearing from you guys, our listeners, about how our message is connecting with you, how it can be applied to your life. We want you to keep doing that. Hit us up on the website, eyesupmindset.com. Send us an email, eyesupmindset at gmail. Connection is about community. And ultimately, Jamie, you and I's goal always in this process has been how do we build a community around being connected, growing one another. I think today's episode with the interview, we really get to that and we build on where we've already come from with our last episodes. Today, we're going to talk to Rob Lovejoy. He's a senior vice president of development and administrative services for Wapiti Medical Services, which is a recruiting company placement for doctors, medical staffing. And I've certainly learned a lot from Rob having gotten to work with him and for him. And I know that you've had your own unique interactions with, with Rob. So tell us a little bit about your connection with him. Yeah, I met him through you and your wife and you guys worked with him and had a lot of respect for him. And, and that right away brings the conversation to, you might want to listen to what he's saying for me. And, and he's always just pushed me and challenged me and grown me and asked challenging questions to make me think about what is this thing that I'm doing and why am I doing it? How am I leading people? He's very, very good at building teams and relationships and, and you have more intimate kind of understanding of that than I do. I just know he's asked me some of the most difficult questions in my life and I didn't feel uncomfortable answering. That's a, that's a skill and a gift that all leaders can learn from. I was excited to connect with him. It's been a long time and uh, I was really grateful for the conversation because he stretched me again today. I think you as a listener, are, if you've li listened to previous episodes, you're going to see some through lines, some similarities from Rob's message to our last episode with Coach Johnson, but from a different perspective, which to me, Jamie, just reinforces something that we believe deeply, that all of this is connected and it doesn't matter what walk of life, what activity what goal you have, the process is similar. And the keys to unlock it are the same. So far in this process, that's been the biggest takeaway for me is that when you do a consistent set of actions, you unlock amazing performance. There's a challenge in that that's really, really cool. Rob just draws it out for us in a, in a, in a different way. Rob Lovejoy. Rob, welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. It's good to see you both. You as well. It's great to see you. Rob, I know a lot about you. You and I have worked together. One of the things that I love about you is kind of your passion, and I think you would call it maybe even your life mission, 
but as a leader in healthcare and, and really anywhere that you've been, can you talk to me a little bit about what your passion is for leadership and kind of that life mission? Sure. Um, I think to stretch and grow people to do things they never thought they could do before uh, has been my life passion, or at least I identified it probably about nine or 10 years ago. That really became ingrained in me through an experience I went through when I worked at Sanford Health and they offered this leadership training uh, that I went to and helped me to really key focus in on what that was for me and where it came from. So the kind of the why behind it is uh, a desire to pay something forward that I was given. Yeah, that, that resonates deeply with John and I. I think that's part of the mission of the podcast and is one of the reasons we thought, you know, hey, Rob would be a great conversation to have because he's, he's aligned with us big time. He just does it in a different context than we do it in. I think it's interesting that you were said, you know, I go to this leadership training and it kind of dials it in for you. Before that, what was your, you know, kind of your MO as a leader, as someone who developed people, was it just less specific or what was, what was specifically the value you got from, from finding a focus point? I think the value from that, that focus point, being able to put it into a sentence helps to tie up a really a box full of things that this sentence encapsulates. And I think a key piece for that is strengths. Uh, you know, I've, I've been a huge fan of the Strengths Finder book that's out there, um, the Cl- Clifton Strengths, that um, Marcus Birkingham and Don Clifton wrote. And I've used as a tool for many years working with teams of people and trying to understand what people's strengths are. Um, for me, it was a, a revelation, and that goes back even before identifying how you put this into a single sentence. But that is part of what's in that box. I think the other piece that goes with that is a better understanding of how you apply situational leadership. That it's not about how I want to approach it, which is how I used to be years ago. Uh, I think I managed people. I didn't lead that is a big transition for me. It's not about me. If I want to be successful with a team, it's about the us. Can you speak to that difference management leadership? I know that it's, it's a little bit ubiquitous out there in the literature, but maybe not everybody's reading the same things. What, what do you mean by you managed people and you didn't lead? I think I managed people. And and I think when you look at the definition of management versus leadership, leadership is about the what's um what is it that we need to accomplish um the the management piece is about how we do things and the processes the technical aspect of that so there's some great opportunities to learn about improving the technical process flows of things you know in lean manufacturing and things like that that apply in just about any case and that's very helpful in a management sense. But the, the leadership piece comes from that adaptability side of the world, not the technical side. And that's where the, I learned that the real work is. 
So how do I get things done through other people and trust in them to do that and always have their backs and never leave them on the ice alone? That is a transition. And it took years to make it. And I'm still on that, that, uh, that learning curve as we all are. Certainly is a journey every day to develop and grow our skills in whatever area that we are working. Rob, you mentioned Strengths Finder, the Clifton book. I have had the privilege of going through that, you know, when we worked together in, in Thief River Falls. Part of, I think, what the value is in that is getting to understand where people are at, figuring out their strengths and putting them in positions to be successful. I think that's one of the things that I have taken from my time with you is when you have a team, the individual parts are, you know, certainly really important, but they have to be in the right places and at the right time. And so there's a mantra that I can hear you saying in lots of different scenarios, but it's the right person, the right place at the right time. And part of that is getting people to work at the highest level of their abilities given their strengths. So can you talk a little bit about that in terms of maybe in the business world or, you know, in, in any other aspect that you want to explore? Kind of the old world was, <clears throat> this is your title. This is your work. Um, stay in your silo. Uh, don't cross the line. And um, that is not the, that's not how I think you get the greatest outcomes with a team of individuals. Although we all have, you know, our role to play, um, depending on a different opportunity, a project, whatever it might be, understanding that uh, having the right combination of strengths within a group to set it up for success is hugely important. And that's definitely something I learned going to Gallup University, great managers program, another opportunity I had working back with Merit Care. And understanding that when you take Clifton strengths, the 34 strengths, and break them down, they all fall into essentially four, four categories and that great teams need to make up a combination and balance of those four categories, whether it's the theme of executing, the theme of influencing, the theme of relationship building, or the theme of strategic thinking. And so it, what it did for me is it gave me a simplistic understanding of the complexity that it is, that our true work is, our adaptable work. And then learning to utilize that and apply it, which is, again, a journey, it was incredibly eye-opening for me. And the more that I've worked with it and worked with teams, I've seen outcomes that way. And engagement, people get highly engaged. I've, I've seen experiences where people were not very satisfied in their work. They had an opportunity to work on a cross-functional team that suddenly when they were the person that had the executing piece on the team, it wasn't the entire team. They could truly allow that to stretch and grow them to the top of their performance level. I happened to lead with, with influencing strengths. So my three influencing strengths happen to be woo or winning others over communication and, um, maximizer. So I am passionate about getting others' thoughts and ideas brought forward 
and influencing others to be able to experience that. When I look at other scenarios with other people, the first thing in the world I realize is I don't have other pieces that are as strong as that theme. How do I balance that? I have to pull people in with those strengths and those themes. Being part of a team is hugely important to me. We have a concept that we talk about sometimes where, you know, we zoom out, we zoom in. So that's kind of the zoomed out version of StrengthsFinder. If we were to zoom in a little bit, not everybody has a realistic idea of what their role is, whether that be their title, their ability to influence or execute, you know, from the sports world, not everybody is a quarterback, but there's a lot of people who wish they were the quarterback or believe that they are the quarterback. How have you influenced those situations where people maybe learn that their skills fall in a different area and get them to kind of buy into that as part of the larger collective? If I can use you as an example, John. Absolutely. I think you and I have had many conversations as uh, have Jamie and I in the past as well about working outside of your strengths. What does it feel like when you're asked to work outside of your strengths and not necessarily just your top five, but even your top 10. What does that feel like, John? For me, it's terrifying. You know, that's, again, we, other episodes, we talk about comfort zone and how do we stretch and grow? It's to get outside of our comfort zone. But in that case, when you're asking me to do something that is outside of maybe my strength area, it's humbling. I certainly feel inadequate and unprepared to do, do justice to whatever the, the job is. Exactly. So in answer to your question, if you take the time to help someone understand what that role would look like for them and how that would or would not tie into their strengths and what type of feelings would stem from that, stressors, anxieties, fears, etc as opposed to supporting them and helping them see how, say someone who leads with strategic thinking, if they could focus their energies on that and how much, how much more enjoyable and engaged they would be to the situation. And allowing people to move in and outside those job descriptions in regards to taking on those different types of roles within the work environment really starts to energize a group. When you can see someone who, who starts to recognize and see how those strengths and those themes suddenly resonate with the work that they're doing and their energy level connects with that, that's exciting to me. It, it's like watching my daughter for the first time on a stage when she was afraid to do it. And it happened to be the violin. And the violin, for anybody who knows what a violin sounds like with someone who's learning, it is not a pretty sound. <laughs> but I'll tell you the day that she first got up on that stage and she played that violin for the first time with the rest of that ensemble, it brought tears to my eyes. And she wasn't on the ice alone. She had a team around her. And um, just like in sports or in our work, we, we have to create that safe environment for, for each other to, to grow in that. How do you create safe environments? We, you know, as a coach, as a teacher in mental health, like in business, it's so crucial 
to create trusting relationships where people feel confident that they can come to you and, and not just leader, follower, mentor, mentee type relationships where it's a little bit easier to do that because you're expected to meet those needs. What about peer to peer relationships creating that safety? That's so vital. Uh, you know, I have a, another mantra that I know John's heard many times for sure. I have a plaque in my office that I was a gift from somebody that they made and it says you're special, but you're not that damn different. So I think you create that environment. And what that means is creating an environment of lessons, not mistakes and knowing that you're going to have someone's back. So I, I personally always share with my team is it's my, it's my, I own the responsibility if it goes bad and I will own that. But if it goes well, I want to be that dad out in the audience with the tears running down my eyes, feeling really proud of the fact that you just pushed through something you never thought you could do before. And to do that, it requires vulnerability. As a leader, you have to go first. You have to make yourself vulnerable first. You have to share what it felt like for you, that emotional piece that piece you don't want to break through because it's it's painful it hurts uh, it's uncomfortable that's where relationships are built when that relationship is built now there's opportunity for leadership which works in both directions it's it's leadership is not one directional doesn't require a title that's the process I think that is so key that others have given to me and helped me realize that I hope I can give back even just a small amount of that. You are as comfortable pushing into uncomfortable spaces as maybe anybody I've ever met, at least relationally. I don't, I've never worked with you, but we've had many evenings of conversation or on a boat talking and, you have a knack to go to places that personally I don't feel comfortable going to. And yet it never feels like you've stepped across the boundary. Like how do you have the confidence? For me, it's just a confidence thing. Like I don't want to push somebody. I don't want to, I don't know. Like how do you have the confidence or the comfort to go there when for most people that's terrifying? For me, there was you know, some childhood trauma with the death of my father at the age of eight, and I introverted. I'm not an introvert. My number one strength is woo, winning others over, which means I love to be in a large group of people and connect with every person I can, if possible. Because I was able to have the right people in the right place at the right time in my life, um, that is my recovery in life. So what drives me is not that I don't feel, I still feel the same fear as other people feel. The difference is I push through it. So that's the hard part. And I, that's where I tell people, you're special, you're not that damn different. We all feel that way. But that's where the real value is. I'd imagine but, over time, you've just seen it produce such amazing fruit that you're even more willing to go there. I mean, I don't, I don't know you well, but I consider you a friend because we've had those moments. We've had those exactly. moments of deep connection because you are willing to go to that place. So I, I imagine that that's just a compounding, hey, this is amazing. Let's do this again. 
So Jamie, the, I think you hit the nail on the head. You used a word that I absolutely adore, and that's moments. Um, life is full of moments. Moments are, to me, what a moment of value is, is a moment in time that was so emotionally and intellectually compacted into this single solitary moment with someone that it became inspirational. And not just for one individual, but for two individuals or the group. That's, that's the driver of it all. And when you start to realize that that connection is what opens the door for all sorts of innovation and opportunity, that innovation and opportunity that comes from those moments is, is the greatest situation. It's, there's something that happens. I can't, I don't even know if I can really put words on it. I know I've asked you this question before and I recall the answer and I don't expect you to discuss it, but, and I know uh, I asked you once, what is the saddest thing that ever happened to you in your life? And I, I'll never forget the answer. That conversation that stemmed from that uh, drove an enormous amount of communication between the two of us. It broke down barriers that uh, it just, they just dissipated. And all the other conversations are easier too. <laughs> After that, absolutely, you know, like, yeah. What else can like there? There's no place else to go that's off limits. And yeah, that was a hard thing to admit or to talk about. But at the same time, I got something really fruitful. We got something really amazing out of it. And and I think, like you said, Jamie, even though we don't see each other often. I'll never lose that connection with you. I feel that connection with you all the time. And when I think about you, I think about that connection and I feel, and I think that's the hardest part sometimes is for us to connect the necessity of having a feeling and to drive a relationship that ultimately drives our ability to lead others. People choose to follow if there's not a relationship, it won't happen. You can manage it. You can manage people, but without a relationship uh, and people choosing to follow, you can't lead. And if we are not vulnerable enough to allow the same in reverse, then we can't be led. So Rob, we have a pretty wide, diverse population that listens to our podcast so far, anywhere from high school athletes to retirement age individuals. And I think something you just said about what drives that for you was that experience of living outside of your strength and allowing those fears to drive your behavior and what you chose, how you chose to outwardly show the world who you were. What would you say to somebody who maybe is still stuck in that fear or still stuck, not really living in their strengths? I would ask them how they feel about being in a situation that causes them stress and anxiety. You know, some people just naturally tend to lean towards the thinking side of the world. Some people more to the feeling side. And I think that really good decision-making 
for moving forward requires a balance. And that's, that's what I would call someone's gut instinct. So oftentimes I'll try to get to where are they in balance with that conversation. So I'm trying to really identify for people to commit. I always call it the C formula for people to commit. It equals competence plus confidence and identifying what's missing. And it could be a combination of both that's missing, you know, with the, with the competence, is their knowledge missing, um, whatever it might be, but what's missing in that er arena. But the confidence piece is where oftentimes you end up finding that the feelings that are there, even if someone approaches with a thinking approach with you and oftentimes is very strong compartmentalizing that, those feelings and approaches everything with thought, they're still driven by feelings as well. But what if I don't want to feel, not trust my gut because, and if, especially if it is counter to what other people are doing or absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Jamie, you would have never uh, pushed against that with me, would you? Every, every time we talk, I push against that with you. It's like, I don't want to do this. I, this, is a, <laughs> this is a part of this conversation I'm not certain I should, we should go to. And so, yeah, explain how you get there. Cause I always say something I, in retrospect, I'm like, I'm glad I said that, but man, I can't believe he, he got me to say that. From my standpoint, it's about baby steps and truly um, really being aware and present of all that's going on. Uh, I'm hypersensitive to, sensitive to body language and um, I am a firm believer that the body language will speak far more clearly, at least for me, than the words that are coming out of someone's mouth. So I, I absolutely dislike talking on the telephone because of it. In our case, as we're recording this podcast, at least the three of us are on a video as well. So I can see the body language. Um, and I think that oftentimes the body language will also show you when you've triggered something for someone. And it's really uh, oftentimes I'll say, I know you've heard this. Say more about that. And, you know, my own kids look at me. They roll their eyes at me and say, Daddy, don't <laughs> say more about that. You have to take it at a pace that people can handle. And if you're completely present and aware in the moment, a baby step can turn very quickly into some very fast baby steps. But you also have to take the risk. And it can backfire. I think it's about integrity. It has to be real. You have to want to be in that place yourself and demonstrate that yourself if you expect others to do so. I, like I taught for eight years. I've been a coach for 14. And the one thing I've learned through that process is what you just said. Like you have to model it yourself. You have to be able to demonstrate some level of comfort with discomfort. Like I used to do this thing in my classroom called five good minutes and it would never be five good minutes. Anybody that knows me knows that that is impossible, <laughs> but I would let my students ask me anything, you know, we'd have Did a that theme. turn into whole 
whole oh, yeah. session, whole class session. My students, like, they loved it when I would say we're doing five good minutes because they'd know there was no class going on ah, today. Awesome. I mean, <laughs> some days we would, but no, so I'd do five good minutes and I'd say, you can ask me anything. And within reason, I will be as honest as I can be about that. And so they'd ask questions that were really powerful, really silly, really anything. And coming out of that one time, I had a student write me a letter. I'd shared something personal about my family and she wrote me a letter about a similar experience. And immediately, like it was a kid I hadn't talked to a ton, but immediately that relationship changed into high trust both ways, high community, high communication both ways. I think as a leader, sometimes we, we get to this place where like, oh, I can't do that because I'm supposed to be separate or outside or above when, you know, our, we just had our college football coach on and he thought he used to talk about getting small and lifting others up and let them stand on your shoulder sort of thing. Like leadership is often from below and beside that idea of you got to do it first. You got to model it. it. Just landed huge with me as you said it. Cause that's a hundred percent my experience. I think you hit the nail on the head, Jamie, even in um, my last place of work, I, we, we had created an organizational chart that was what would be considered upside down compared to most with, with the CEO and the board of directors on the bottom of the page with intention, because it's a graphic, it's a visual cue of truly what, what kind of culture you want to have within an organization or within a team or within a group. And you can come up with all the strategy in the world. You can come up with the best processes in the world, but if you don't have the right culture, it will definitely drag down the potential of the individual group or teams. And that's a tough one. It takes years to change culture. Um, Certainly the smaller the size of the group, the faster it can go. Someone once said, I don't remember who, stra- uh, culture will eat strategy. In my experience, I've been in a number of organizations where they said, oh, that won't work. We tried it before. Why didn't it work? Because it seems like a really good idea. And in multiple cases, I've seen where it's turned out to be very beneficial to actually reinvent that, bring it out again in the organization. The difference was when people got a, when people got that that fear took control of change that's when there was trouble and so the the process or the system itself that was proposed had all the ability to be successful but the culture ate it alive so i have two things first thing is i know that we've been Jamie you shared a little bit and Rob you shared a little bit about how this can impact us in a personal way in our personal relationships. But I think it's easy to go to the business side or the sports side and say, Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool in those settings. I want to do that in those settings. But really what we are talking about is this is a way of life. This is a way of living your life this way. And I think to reach your full potential, you have to be willing to go to these places eventually. 
Maybe not right away, like you said, Rob, at a pace that you can handle, but you have to be willing to go to those places in your personal relationships as well. Otherwise, again, you're not gonna make the most of this life that you get to live. So that was my statement. My, my, my next question you made me think about, so culture eats strategy for lunch, and you talked about bringing the culture to light to kind of examine that and, and rework that. What does that look like? How do you get intentional about identifying what your culture is? Because I think there's a lot of people in all areas that say, you know, my culture, our culture is pretty good. And it might not be because they don't really know how to identify that or, or what that means. So maybe you can just talk a little bit about culture from your perspective. How do you bring that to light? And then I guess, what are the steps to starting to change that? I think it's a very similar scenario to what Jamie had referred to earlier, where you take and you're very present in those conversations with individuals. Um, I use a tool called perception questions. So those four questions are, how do you see this organization or this group or this team? If there was one thing about this organization, group or team that you would change, what would it be? If there was one thing about this organization, group or team that you would keep doing, what would it be? And then how do you see effective leadership within this group, team or organization? And essentially it allows you to collect data across the organization. It's also a, it happens to be a tool I use when I talk with people to try to break down that barrier to take, to take those baby steps. Can you but speak, under- you said what kind of leadership or what sort of leadership do you see? Is that, are there people in the group leading well, or is that what kind of leadership leads you well, or can you get a little yeah, so detailed there? Asking someone, how do you see effective leadership is about them. It's their, it's what their need is. So situation, which drives situational leadership, which is incredibly important. Um, you know, as, as we all grow as leaders, we learn to realize that if, if we don't approach each individual with the, the style, leadership style they need at the moment, this, the, the likelihood of success is slim to none. So in some cases, depending on where they are with that competence and confidence in order to commit, you adjust whether you give them a directive style uh, or a coaching style, a supportive style, or a delegative style. It takes practice because I'll be honest, my, my first desire is not to do the coaching or the supportive because it takes longer, right? And years ago, um, I would eat, I was, and I think I find this in most situations uh, that I've experienced is there's a lot of directive and delegative style that happens. And oftentimes people are delegated to when they don't have the competence and confidence yet, which is really the, on the onus of the leader. And there's definitely not enough coaching going on in life and in the work environment um, because it takes time and people are pressured. And you know, we're, we live in a microwave society. Everybody wants everything now, and it's not the reality. You know, when you're talking about everybody wants things now, there's not enough coaching. Even as a coach, I think one of the things that I really value is teaching 
coaching fundamentals. So getting down to, you know, if it's, if it's a wide receiver running a route in football, like what are my first steps? What is my alignment? Where do my hands go? And I think so often we say, well, we only have X amount of time in practice. We only have X amount of time in this meeting. We can't waste time talking about these things that people should already know, but they might not know that. And I think that's where I, I am challenged with that sometimes. And, and even though I value that, I know that there are times where I have to go back to that. And a lot of times we have to do it over and over again because that's, that's how we learn and how people learn is doing it over and over again. So you talked about, a little bit about understanding what style of leadership people need as a leader and I'm giving the air quotes here because leader being in a position of leadership, how do you, or how would you encourage people to go about figuring out what their style is and then also developing other styles because their style might not all work with everybody on their team? Well, crucial conversations for one. I am like many enjoy crucial conversations uh, because I have recognized that I would rather have you tell me that I have a booger on my nose than have me walk across a room full of people with it hanging there. So that's rather graphic, but if I genuinely care about the individual, I will risk what that might do to the relationship based on knowing that I am more interested in doing what's, what's best for them, even at the risk of the relationship. So being candid and truthful and honest and having a crucial conversation, if I recognize a situation or they're saying, well, I don't understand why I can't get people to do this. And it's always about, okay, you can't make people do anything. How do you ask the right questions for them to help get themselves there? And it, again, it takes time and every situation is different. Some people need a more directive style at the moment, but having a crucial conversation with someone and helping them clearly understand how something was perceived is incredibly important because how other people perceive it is their reality, whether that was your intent or it wasn't, it doesn't matter to them. All they have is their perception, their reality. So how do you help change that perception or reality for them? And that's about you changing your behavior. How do you approach it differently? How do I do it? How do I approach this as a coach? How do I approach this as a supportive style? How do I let go when, when someone's ready, when they are competent and competent? How do I take my fears and hold on to them and not put them on them and impose them on them and prevent them from stretching and growing to do something they never thought they could do before? And with calculated risk and knowing that you'll always have their back, you'll take it if they have a lesson out of it not a mistake. I, I see people, I intentionally let people have lessons sometimes. When someone has a lesson, they'll never forget because they know how it feels. So if it's not that significant, let them have the lesson and then you can use that example on bigger, more difficult situations in the future. And they'll, they'll, they'll quickly be able to connect with it. It's interesting you talk about your perception being reality and like having a lesson. One of the things that stands out and similarly, like the conversation we had 
about the saddest moment in my life. This is a very innocuous conversation, but it sticks out to me just dramatically. It, like, I am not a person that is a soft touch person. I don't like blankets that are soft or I don't like hugs, generally speaking. It makes me a weird person probably, but I remember this, like us having a conversation about this and you grabbed my arm and were like, how's that? And I was like, I, I like that. Like that's like, it was physical and it was, and you're like, it releases something for you. And I was like, yes, that's true. Like, and it was I just this, it tightly. Yeah, it was a very aggressive grabbing of my arm. And I was like, that is, that's so weird because I always felt weird for not liking like soft touch or I need weight, I need pressure. And I didn't understand that. And this one conversation, the random person, I probably just met you and like this is the first conversation we have and i'm like whoa that was a lesson that felt in the past like i was making i mean it's simple but it felt like mistakes in the past like oh this person didn't like that and i pushed them away because of whatever but it was just that wasn't that didn't work for me personally and it was an eye-opening moment and i think there are so many opportunities to do that with the people on our teams that we can engage with to show others this is how I work best. And that's what you're talking about. Find your strengths, find the things that work for you. And it, it was such, I mean, like it's, like I said, it's a silly example, but it's, it's very clear to me in my mind how dramatic something that small can make a difference. And I, I think that's a perfect example of, um, you know, it was, it, it was people like yourselves who in, I felt intimidated by growing up because of my, the way I isolated myself after my trauma. You know, I, I am now the dreaded optimist. I always believe that how do you take the most traumatic parts or the, 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 the saddest or the worst parts of what you believe you've experienced in life, no matter where it is, personal work, sports, whatever, how do you take that and let it become the driver for you that helps you recognize, I can get out of this. I, not only did I get out of it, I can go way past it and I can use that as a tool, as a story. That's my story. That's my recovery. You know, we all have baggage. You're special, but you're not that damn different, right? Everybody's got some baggage, right? And I always joke about how, you know, remember when they put wheels on suitcases for the first time? They just put two on, right? But did, wasn't that nice? sure you didn't have to carry it now they put four wheels on them and they spin isn't that even better right? amazing <laughs> so the whole idea is to help i think stretch and grow people through the process of getting to a point where they're in recovery with whatever their thing is and you know oftentimes i'll say recovery and people are like oh you mean from like alcoholism drug i'm like no we're all in a certain stage of recovery with something what is that thing or those things that are holding you back and how do you turn those into what drives you and how do you find those things in other people to help drive the demons out of those and turn it into that, that piece of luggage with four spinning wheels. Jamie just talked about the previous episode. We had our head football coach on and he talked about hating when people asked him, Hey, what's your slogan for this year? Because there's a lot of phrases that we used and you've heard us use them probably in, in our communication and just talking to you today, there are some phrases that have come up over and over. One of the things that he challenged us with is don't let it just be words, live your life. 
that way. People out there who are listening that know you would say, you know, one of the more famous slogans or ways of living for you is ideas without action are worthless. And I think that's what he was challenging us with is, you know, yeah, all these words are great. All these ideas of run to the fight, stay in the fight, finish, or lean into adversity. All of those things are great, but they don't, if they don't mean something, then they're worthless. Can you talk about kind of how that resonates for you and, and how you have incorporated that into your life? Ideas without action are worthless is so important to me because in my personal experience, um, people being backseat drivers, hindsight is twenty twenty. Passing judgment on others um, absolutely rocks my world. And I'll call it out on anybody anytime. Um, because I think if we could all have 2020 vision and proactively see what was going to happen, then what would life be all about? So it's very easy to have ideas and oftentimes say, well, what they should do or why don't they, right? Or, well, they should have ran this play, right? That's a very easy place to live in. And it's risk-free. I think it can become a very sad place for people. What I can also say is there are times where I still want to go back to that place in life. It's always a journey. You and others have stretched me in that, getting me to golf, for example, when I spent much of my life laughing at the sport <laughs> and saying, you know, being the, the backseat driver to it and going, this is silly and ridiculous. Ideas without action are worthless though. John, you had an idea. You said, hmm, I bet I can show Rob that he could value golf. You used situational leadership and knowledge about me as a human being. You knew that one of my very favorite things in the world is soft, supple, beautiful green grass and being outdoors. And you hauled my backside out onto a golf course for the very first time in my life where I had so much fear and anxiety. Every time someone would come up on us, I'd get anxious. I'd swing and miss the ball and miss the ball, and I still do. But today, I can go and I can play in a tournament and swing and miss the ball. And I still don't like the fact that it happened. I still have that feeling of embarrassment and anxiety, but I pushed through it. That was much greater than golf. That was about leadership. And you know that as a child with my introversion and all of that, I I did not play sports like you guys did. Between myself and others, we were afraid to talk after my father died. We didn't know how to deal with it. So they left me alone, I left them alone, and that became my life. What you did was show me an example of how I can live my life in that exact scenario. So much like Jamie's saying, that's ideas without action, inaction. Committing to someone else besides yourself to have an impact on someone else's life. And that applies to everything in my life. It's not just golf. I think your that, openness you. in, in that context creates an openness in other contexts. And it like being open is so valuable. I really appreciate the, the ability to be able to communicate the value of vulnerability. It has been a transformational thing in my life. As a matter of fact, I just would, years ago, would have just assumed not have been vulnerable at all, ever. <laughs> and now it's become what I, I believe is what can unleash things in people that they never thought they could do before. 
and that fulfills my life passion. Well, thank you for coming on. I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys. You stretched and grew me today. It's always good to have you stretch and grow us too. Thank you. So often we pass judgment and don't act. Ideas without action are worthless. That's the challenge. How do we take action instead of passing judgment? Instead of saying, oh, if I'm more confident, it would work. If I had more confidence, it would work. Then I would commit. No, act. Take a step today to get better, to grow. And as always, live eyes up.